Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash BDT. This program is supported by an independent medical education grant from AstraZeneca. Hello and welcome to this educational activity on managing patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. I am Ronald van Vollenhoven. I'm a rheumatologist and I'm head of the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And I'm very pleased today to be joined here uh, by my friends and colleagues, Dr. Yoshia Tanaka from the University of Occupational and Environmental Health in Kita Kyushu, Japan, and by Dr. Cynthia Aronoff from the Feinstein Institute for Medical Research in New York in the United States of America. So Yoshia and Cindy, it's really great to have you here for this program. And in this first presentation of three, we will discuss the current treatment recommendations and also the gaps in clinical care for patients with systemic lupus erythematosus and what is changing now in this day and age. Of course, uh, we are all very familiar with systemic lupus erythematosus, an important systemic autoimmune disease. It has many different manifestations, which makes it clinically challenging. There are often diagnostic dilemmas. And of course, there are also really big issues with how to best treat it. We have to think of all the different manifestations, all the potential side effects and long-term consequences of our interventions. And the bottom line is that unfortunately, we're not doing so well because the quality of life for patients with systemic lupus is still limited. We still see long-term progression of disease, not the great long-term outcomes that we would like to see so much for our patients. So there still is more work to be done. If we also look at the patient's disease course, there may be different courses of disease. Some may have a course that is very stormy with many flares, and then also between the flares, maybe more quiescence. In others, it will progress quite relentlessly. Sometimes the patient is fortunate and has a milder disease course, where sometimes they may have a very long remission. And we do not always understand why the patients are different in this regard. But what we do know is the patient who has lots of flares, the patient who has lots of activity in the disease, has a worse long-term prognosis. So we should try to prevent the flares to control the activity. So, um, Cindy, Aaron, would you like to tell us a little bit about the um, the instruments that can be used uh, maybe in research, but also in clinical practice to measure the lupus activity or the lupus damage? Sure. So um, disease activity is reversible and there is an alphabet soup of validated disease activity instruments, including the SLEDI and the BILAG, each of which assesses all of the, the numerous features of um, lupus. So this lead eye is probably the most widely used of the uh, disease activities. It's been used in clinical trials as well as in observational studies. And what it does is that it looks at the presence or absence of a number of uh, disease features. And at the end of the day, it gives a global score of the disease activity, including uh, serologies. Whereas the BILAG um, it does give a composite score, but it can also measure improvement or worsening 
Um, it is a little bit more cumbersome to use, so it's really not used um, as widely as the uh, sleet eye is. Uh, damage is a different concept. It's irreversible, and it's a result of repeated bouts of inflammatory disease activity, uh, as well as the toxicities of the medications that we use. And the there is a validated damage score, the uh, SLE, I'm sorry, there is a validated damage score, the uh, SLIC ACR damage index. Mm-hmm. Do you use these in practice? So, in fact, I do. Um, this lead eye is pretty easy to, to score and do. And, in fact, it's incorporated into many of the electronic medical records in the United States. So, as I follow my lupus patients, I... Definitely, I compute a sleet eye score on each and every visit. And that actually brings to a point where we uh, have been discussing a lot in the lupus community also about having a target. So using the treating to target principle, which means that you have to sort of decide in advance what it is that you want to achieve. And then after a certain time interval, which depends a little bit on the situation, of course, you check to see if you did achieve the target. And if not then, of course, you're supposed to do something. So that's often a key step. Uh, People may sometimes forget. These kind of considerations about treatment have also been reflected in treatment guidelines or treatment recommendations that have been issued by big organizations. The European Rheumatology Organization, EULAR, has published recommendations, and they will point out that there are many different treatment options and that the EULAR recommendations mostly will say to use them sequentially, but also in combination to try to get patients to achieve low disease activity or remission, which is, of course, the best possible outcome for the patient. I'm curious, uh, Dr. Yoshia Tanaka, are the recommendations that are used in Japan uh, similar to what uh, you see in the EULA recommendations or are there differences? Yes, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> basic concept is similar to the EULA recommendation. But in Japan, also Asian countries, the prevalence and severity of renal manifestation and central nervous manifestation are a little bit higher than white people. So uh, Japan and also APRA has made recommendations in each organ, for instance, in kidney, in central nervous system, in other major organs, and skin and joint and others. Thank you. And Cindy, in the United States, uh, I think the recommendations or the um, uh, guidelines from the American College of Rheumatology is, of course, uh, dominant. How does that fit in? And uh, do they differ? Are they the same? The treatment in the United States is very similar to what's being shown here. Although I will say that, you know, we, we also use a, a bit of uh, loflunamide and IVIG and Dapsone. Um, depending on what the uh, individual organ features might be. Thank you. The recommendations and guidelines, they reflect some treatments that have been available for some time, some of them very long time, but there are some new treatments also and some new uses for existing treatments. Uh, Yoshia, can you tell us a little bit about the new biologicals for SLE? Thank you. Uh, as you mentioned, we have now two biologics for SLE, and both of them are used for the Moderate to severe SLE, wines anti-sugar buff antibody, Berimab, approved in 2011. Brand new one is 
aniflorumab, which is an anti-interferon alpha receptor 1 antibody. Interferon signatures are known to be higher in SLE compared to other connective tissue diseases, so it should be a good target. By the tulip 1 and 2 and MUSE trial, which is phase 2, uh, this antibody was also approved last year. Thank you very much, Yoshia. So I think it brings us to the conclusion of this program. It's a very exciting time in the history of the treatment of lupus because we are not doing so well for all our patients. Quite a lot of patients are still having a rough disease course with flares and disease activity and long-term damage. But there is now real hope because the use of new medications in combination, of course, with the older ones as part of a treating-to-target approach will hopefully enable us to bring better results to our patients with systemic lupus erythematosus in the future. So thank you very much for joining us for this program. And I hope you will also be able to join us for the next session where we will have a closer look at the different biologicals that are available as treatment options in SLE. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to this educational activity on managing patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. I'm Ronald van Vollenhoven, a rheumatologist and head of the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And I'm very pleased to be joined here today with two friends and colleagues, uh, Dr. Cindy Aronoff from the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research in New York in the United States, and Professor Yoshia Tanaka from the University of Occupational and Environmental Health in Kitakyushu in Japan. We're going to talk about challenges of managing patients with lupus. I would like to start by talking about the two biologicals that have been approved for the treatment of this disease. And maybe, Cindy, we can ask you to start by saying something about belimumab, which was the first approved biologic for SLE. For sure. So belimumab is a monoclonal antibody directed against BAF, um, also known as BLIS. So BAF binds to three receptors on B cells and is key for B cell survival and maturation and differentiation. So hyperbaf actually facilitates the maturation of autoreactive B cells. And not surprisingly, levels of BAF are high in lupus. So this led to a antibody that binds to BAF, preventing its engagement with the B cell. And there have been a number of uh, phase three studies, which led to its approval um, in the United States in 2011, as well as in Europe and Asia. And using a response criteria um, defined by the SRI-4, which requires an absolute improvement of the SLEDI components by four weeks without worsening of the biological PGA, a IV dose of 10 mg per kg given weekly has consistently shown better responses in subjects receiving map compared to those receiving standard of care. And it's also worth noting, though, that it did take a little bit of time, about 16 weeks to di- differentiate from placebo. Um, importantly, and remarkably, the safety profile in the clinical trials is that it's relatively safe as an adjunctive therapy. And the rates of adverse events are similar to those receiving standard of care plus placebo, 
without significant differences in overall treatment um, related AEs or severe AEs or AEs that led to a discontinuation of treatment. The most common adverse effects were infections, which again were equivalent between the belimumab and placebo-treated patients. Um, and infusion and hypersensitivity reactions can and do occur in a small percentage of patients. So thank you very much, uh, Cindy. Uh, Yoshia, there's, of course, excitement also about a newer biological that was approved more recently, and nephrolumab. Could you tell us a little bit about that? It is very well known that type 1 interferon signatures are characteristically high in SLA compared to other connective tissue diseases. The type 1 interferon uh, is produced by dendritic cells and induce ISRE-dependent uh, antiviral response. However, type 1 interferon also induces gas-mediated immune response, especially B-cells, T-cells, and monocytes. And aniflumab is anti-interferon receptor 1 antibodies, which completely inhibits the binding of interferon to receptor, but it is also internalized in the cells and physically blocks the interferon signal. One phase two trial used and two phase three trials, TULIP1 and TULIP2, were undertaken. And the primary endpoint of TULIP1 and MUSE were SRI4 at week 54. The primary endpoint of TULIP2 was BICRA at week 24. And TULIP2 and MUSE met the primary endpoint, but TULIP1 did not. However, all these three studies corticosteroid dose was markedly reduced, and more than 50% of patients reduced the crash shape at week 12, and also more than 50% reduction in joint swelling are observed in two trials. Also, uh, free are reduced. In terms of safety profile in TULIP2 studies, we can see higher incidence of adverse events especially viral infections such as herpes zoster in aniflumumab. But uh, most of them are comparable between placebo and aniflumumab. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Oshia. So uh, very exciting to see results on these two biologicals from a number of clinical trials and uh, safety profiles that seem uh, quite satisfactory and make it possible to start using these uh, medications in our patients. And in a moment, we'll talk about uh, for which patients we should be using them. But I want to take a little detour about um, the the objective of our treatment, the target of our treatment, what do we want to achieve? And of course, remission is sort of the target that everybody wants, you know, the disease completely under control. Uh, and with the Doris group, we actually did make a definition that is, uh, I think, also useful in practice based on the SLE day being zero and then some additional uh, comments. But there's another possibility if the patient cannot achieve a remission, it's the low disease activity. Can you say something about that, Sally? Sure. So LLDAS, or the Lupus Low Disease Activity Score, uh, was developed by the Asia-Pacific uh, Consortium, and it's a less stringent uh, outcome than the that of remission. It does take into account the SLEDI uh, 2K um, which needs to be low without any activity in other um, organs 
and disease activity, really there can't be anything new. It looks at uh, medications, so steroids, um, low dose, seven and a half, no greater, as well as other um, maintenance med- medicines that really can't change. So it's like the remission, but it's just less stringent. Yeah, and it seems that in practice, we will need to choose individually what it is that is realistic to achieve, where we have the means to accomplish it, and in the end, what is going to benefit the patient uh, most. So certainly the strategic um, objectives of our treatment are important, but then the question is, okay, at which point should we really use the biologicals? Yoshida, you want to give us some thoughts uh, yeah. about that uh, question? Thank you. Uh, our primary end point for the treatment is LL dust retinue. So if patient met LL dust, it is okay, but do not, do not meet the LL dust, we may think about the addition of biologics. Uh, also, if patient uh, keeps the LL dust but shows a minor flare, we may consider about the induction of uh, biologics. Uh, furthermore, if patient meet LL dust, our next goal might be a remission, Doris remission. But it is not so easy. But biologics may help us to induce remission. Thank you. And so, uh, Cindy, when would you consider using biologicals in trying to achieve these, these targets? So that's a great question. And I think basically when disease activity just is not being controlled adequately, or in a patient who I just can't, they, they have low disease activity, but they still are on a steroid dose that's too high. And so biologic might be um, useful at that point. But in a patient with persistent um, disease activity that we just can't bring under control, I don't think that there should be a hesitation. We should be using the biologics, the tools that we have at hand. Well, it sounds like uh, we're all in agreement. Um, But uh, still, I think many clinicians are wondering, so when the patient comes to my office, what should I look for? Are there tests that I should do to know if the biologicals are in order? Any thoughts on that, Yoshia? Uh, For instance, uh, in terms of renal manifestation, uh, Berimumab has a uh, good evidence by Buris LN. So we may add Berimumab rather than Aniflorumab. But for the central nervous systems, Berimumab may have some concerns. So in such a case, we may use Aniflorumab, although we don't have much evidence. Thank you. So, Cindy, how do you feel about this? For which patient is the, which biologic the right one to choose? So I agree with everything that Dr. Tanaka has said, but would just add that anaphrolamab has really remarkable effects on cutaneous manifestations of lupus. Very interesting. So maybe the the organ-specific manifestations could guide us a little bit. It is an exciting time for the treatment of lupus. Two biologicals are approved and hopefully also available to you in the audience and to your patients. Uh, we do want to achieve remission if we can, but in some patients we are happy with low disease activity. The question is, should we find the best way to approach those goals using the biologicals? Hopefully in the coming years, we will 
get more experience knowing which patient uh, is the right patient for the biological and also the luxury of having two biologicals that are approved, how to choose. So thank you again very much, Shoshia Tanaka and Cindy Aronoff for joining me here today. Thank you for your interest in this program. And if you find it helpful, then please also join us next when in our next program, we will discuss two cases of patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to this activity on managing patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. My name is Ronald van Vollenhoven. I'm a rheumatologist, and I work as the chair of the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And I'm very pleased to be joined here today by my friends and colleagues, Professor Yoshia Tanaka from the University of Occupational and Environmental Health in Kitakyushu, Japan, and also Dr. Cynthia Aronow from the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research in New York, in the United States. So it's great to have you here, Cindy, and Yoshi, I'm looking forward to having a discussion. And what we're going to do today is we're going to discuss two cases to patients that you might find are similar to ones in your practice. I'd like to start by asking you, Cindy Arnold, to present the first case to us. Sure. So Laura um, is probably a patient that you might have seen in your clinic. She's a 25-year-old woman with lupus, and she's presenting to you with uncontrolled flares of arthritis. So her joints are swollen, they hurt, she has morning stiffness for hours, she says, and she's also um, telling you that she's really fatigued. So she was actually diagnosed with lupus about three years ago when she was 22 and has received treatment with hydroxychloroquine at 200 milligrams, and she's a small woman. So the 200 milligram dose was appropriate. And she's received some treatment with steroids with prednisone. Uh, She got uh, 10 milligrams for uh, 12 months. The dose was lowered a little to seven and a half for three months. And then her flares of her arthritis came back. And, you know, you see her. um, And in addition to what she has clinically, um, she's hypocomplementemic profoundly and also has high uh, titers of anti-double-stranded DNA titers. So, um, Dr. von Bollenhaven, how would you uh, treat this trait? Well, thank you, Cindy. That is really the kind of patient that we do see in practice. And so this is a fairly short disease duration where the patient has clearly had lupus for a number of years now and there has been an attempt to control it with conventional medications, with hydroxychloroquine, which is the basic medication that should always be considered in lupus, and also with corticosteroids, which is nearly always done because it works so well, and that is great for the patient, but only for a short time, because we all recognize the problem of long-term corticosteroid therapy. So the clinician was uh, attempting to lower the dosage, and that's when things went wrong. The arthritis reappeared, and this is unfortunately a very common scenario. So what do we do? I think in in the past, it would have been very clear that at this point, we would consider an immunosuppressive. I have had most experience myself with azathioprine, and in more recent times, mycophenolate has been used a lot. 
Also, methotrexate could be considered, given that this is uh, mostly an arthritis presentation. But the balance is that uh, methotrexate in a young woman with a potential childbearing uh, wish in the future, um, always something to be uh, thinking of. The big question here is, is it still correct to go to a conventional immunosuppressor? And then maybe see if that works. And that could, of course, work. Or should we already start thinking there are now biologicals for the treatment of lupus? And that's a and that's a tough question. And there is no right answer, I think. I'd be curious to hear your um, view on this, uh, Yoshia Tanaka. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. So actually, three uh, dye is eight to point, four point joint and two point complement, two point DSDNA antibodies and one viral B can be observed. So so-called minor flare. I may add mesotrexate to her, but as uh, Professor von Bonhoeffer mentioned, she's still 25 years old, childbearing age. So I may add berimab or aniflorumab too. So you are also already thinking, is this a patient where you would consider a biologic? even though it is, of course, still also possible to use with conventional medications. How are your views on this, uh, Cindy? So I think the thing that really strikes me here is that this is a lady who has been exposed to a lot of steroids, and we really do need to think about how are we going to get her steroid dose down so she doesn't get any of the chronic uh, damage that is associated with steroids. Do we now give her one of the conventional DMARDs of the ones that you just mentioned? Or, you know, should we be thinking about a biologic in this case? And, you know, I think that it's really important to partner with our patients. And I would certainly discuss those options with her. I'm glad to notice that we're in agreement and that in this case, there are still different, very reasonable options. I'd like to present another case, a patient who is uh, slightly older than the previous one, 41-year-old, still also quite young, uh, with lupus. In her case, the most striking manifestations are the mucocutaneous manifestations, and these persist, to summarize it all, despite conventional therapies. She also has the, the hair loss, which often comes from involvement of the scalp, and so her skin disease was both acute and subacute, And there was a quite a concern because in her case, the lesions were clearly scarring. In her case, many things were tried because she has been living with this disease for, for more than 10 years now. And her doctors really tried to control it with the anti-malarials, which of course for the skin can work very well. In her case, that wasn't enough. Methotrexate was started in different periods of time, also azathioprine. And of course, she ended up also receiving quite a lot of corticosteroids. But nothing really controlled the skin lesions very well. And in addition, the lupus manifestations also included mild cytopenias and general inflammation. And she herself also indicates that the general feeling of illness, that persistent lack of energy and the persistent tiredness also is a big imposition on her. So she really comes with the question, now that you've tried all these other things, what can you do? What should we do? And uh, I'd like to ask you, um, Yoshia, what is what is your reaction when you hear this? Yes, as men- you mentioned, uh, she has a, a little bit minor flare uh, despite 
hydroxychloroquine, azathioprine, and prednisone. And actually, three dyes, eight point uh, two arrows, two skin rush, and two WBC, two platelet count. And she has a two viral B uh, arrows and skin rush. So actually, market minor flame. So also, she has a more, more than 10 years history. So I would add aniflomab to this patient. So uh, aniflomab is effective for the skin subcutaneous regions. And uh, it might be a good uh, indication, I think. Thank you very much, Yoshia. And uh, Cindy, your thoughts on this? So I, unfortunately, I think that this is not an uncommon scenario. I mean, here's a patient still relatively young who has gone through a number of treatments um, over and over where she's maybe had a little bit of response and then she flares through again. So I think, you know, giving her another uh, synthetic uh, DMARD is not likely to do the trick. And I agree with Yoshia that I would give her a biologic um, and I would discuss with her, you know, either belimumab, which does have a good uh, activity on the musculoskeletal system or anaphrolimab. Since she has such active cutaneous manifestations Although either belimumab or anaphrolimab should be considered, I think I would use anaphrolimab, which I've seen just melt some of the cutaneous uh, lupus manifestations. Yeah, and it's exactly as you pointed out, Yoshia, she does have all the criteria for a a biological. If you look at uh, the approval by FDA, EMA, other authorities, she has failed all these other treatments. She has activity in multiple organ systems, but of course, primarily the skin. And so a biological is indicated. This is now, of course, quite new, a situation where we have the choice of more than one approved biological for lupus. So I would like to uh, thank both you, Yoshia Taraka, and you, Cindy Arano, for joining us here today. And of course, also you who are watching this program. And I have a little appeal to you who are practicing, many of you may be rheumatologists or other specialists, And I would like to say, let's all try to really endeavor to provide the best possible care for our patients with systemic lupus in this day and age. That means that we really can now steadfastly pursue the goal of achieving low disease activity or even remission for our patients with the available therapeutic options. Thank you very much for watching this program. And we do hope that you have found this activity useful for your clinical practice. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.